The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning and welcome to Love Was His Meaning, Reading and Praying with Julian of Norwich, and we are ready for chapter 47. Before we begin this, we'll do our little office, which is linked to in the description. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God. Let's read together Psalm 84. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts! My soul has a desire and longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. The sparrow has found her a house, and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young. By the side of your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are they who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrim's way. Those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs, for the early rains have covered it with pools of water. They will climb from height to height, and the God of gods will reveal himself in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Hearken, O God of Jacob. Behold our defender, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand in my own room, and to stand at the threshold of the house of my God, than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is both sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk with integrity. O Lord of hosts, happy are they who put their trust in you. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us join together in a prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. Well, here we are at chapter 47 uh, of the Revelations. Uh, something I wanted to say to people who might have joined our podcast a little bit later uh, is all the way at the beginning of this process, uh, I, I recorded an introduction uh, to uh, this uh, reading through of uh the revelations. Uh, I've come to many um, different conclusions and, and understandings since we began this process. It's been a really good learning process for me. So when I finish, uh, finally finish all of this, 80-something chapters, um, I will go back and actually re-record the intro, but it still stands as a pretty good intro, so you can go all the way back if you want to kind of get an idea for it is uh, that what we're doing here. But for now, chapter 47. Two objectives belong to our soul by obligation. One is that we reverently marvel. The other is that we meekly suffer, ever rejoicing in God. For he wants us to know that we shall in a short time see clearly within himself all that we desire. Notwithstanding all this, I beheld and marveled greatly at the mercy and forgiveness of God. 
For by the teaching that I had beforehand, I understood that the mercy of God was supposed to be in the remission of his wrath after the time that we have sinned. It seemed to me that to a soul whose intention and desire it is to love, the wrath of God would be more severe than any other pain, and therefore I accepted that the remission of his wrath would be one of the principal objectives of his mercy. But in spite of anything that I might behold and desire, I could not see this point in the entire showing. But how I saw and understood concerning the works of mercy, I shall say somewhat, insofar as God wishes to give me grace. I understand, understood this. Man is changeable in this life, and by frailty, and by ignorance, and lack of cunning, being overcome, he falls into sin. He is impotent and unwise by himself, and also his will is overwhelmed during this time he is in turmoil, and in sorrow and woe. And the cause is blindness. For man sees not God, because if he saw God constantly, he would have no harmful experience, nor disturbance of any kind, nor the distress that is a servant to sin. This I saw and felt at the same time, and it seemed to me that the sight and the feeling was noble and plenteous and gracious in comparison to what our ordinary experience is in this life. But yet I thought it was only small and lowly in comparison to the great desire that the soul has to see God. I perceived in me five kinds of activities, which are these. Rejoicing, mourning, desire, fear, and certain hope. Rejoicing, because God gave me understanding and knowledge that, that it was himself that I saw. Mourning, and that was because of failing. Desire, and that was that I might see him ever more and more, understanding and acknowledging that we shall never have full rest until we see him truly and clearly in heaven. Fear was because it seemed to me that in all that time that this vision would fail and I would be left to myself. Certain hope was in the endless love that I saw I would be protected by his mercy and brought to his bliss, and rejoicing in his sight with this certain hope of his merciful protection gave me understanding and comfort, so that mourning and fear were not greatly painful. And yet in all this I beheld in the showing of God that this kind of understanding of him cannot be constant in this life, and that for his own honor and for increase of our endless joy, and therefore we are frequently without the sight of him, and at once we fall back into ourselves, and then we discover no sense of rightness, nothing but the contrariness that is within ourselves, and that from the ancient root of our first sin, with all that follows after from our own contrivance. And in this we are troubled and tempered, temp troubled and tempted, with the sense of sins and of pains in many different ways, spiritually and bodily, as it is familiar to us in this life. She starts off this chapter with the two objectives that belong to our soul by obligation. So these are, are the two things that are uh, inherent to us, that we reverently marvel, uh, so we marvel at the grace and mercy of God, and the other is that uh, John Julian says meekly, meekly suffer. Uh, this is a situation where I actually kind of like Ellen Sana's translation of um, that the other is that we humbly endure, uh, so that there's things go in, in our lives that are unpleasant that simply is part of uh, endurance for us, um, ever rejoicing in God, and wants us to know that in a short time, meaning at the end of our lives, we see clearly within himself all that we, we desire. So it's not that we will be forever uh, in this state. Notwithstanding all this, and we're going back to this idea of wrath and God here, uh, that, that she just can't find, uh, 
for by the teaching that she had beforehand, uh, if we remember a couple of chapters ago, she was talking about the two dooms, the doom of the revelation, which she looked as the greater doom or greater judgment, and the doom taught to her by church, which she seemed she looked at as the lesser um, uh, judgment, but still an important judgment. By the teaching she had beforehand, that is, of the church, I understood that the mercy of God was supposed to be the remission of his wrath after the time that we have sinned. So by she had been taught that God's mercy was all about giving us redemption after God had gotten angry at us. Uh, as um, Ruth Aubert says in her translation, the, the mercy of God was that he would cancel out his anger after we had sinned. But the problem for Julian, as she says later on here, is that she never, in any of this revelation, sees any anger in God. It's something that surprises her and blows her mind, the idea that God is not angry with us and is not capable of being angry with us. Uh, well, I guess God is capable of anything, but it's not in God's nature to be angry with us. So, um, despite of anything that she might behold and desire, she could not see this point in the entire showing. It's something she looks for, it's something she wants to see, it's something she wants to understand, but God never shows it to her. God never shows the anger that she, she wants to understand how that works, and God seems to say it doesn't work at all because there is no anger, um, as, she, as he will say, I look at you with pity and not with blame. So mercy, the mercy uh, is, uh, as we go down a little bit later here in the chapter, that humanity is changeable in this life. Everything changes for us. By frailty, by ignorance and lack of cunning. Being overcome, we fall into sin. We're impotent and unwise by ourselves. And also our will is overwhelmed. And during that time, we are in turmoil and in sorrow and woe. She will develop this in a, a really fantastic metaphor uh, in a few chapters um, in, in the, the parable of the servant and, and, the, and the king, um, but we're not quite there yet. But she's, she's getting to that point of we fall and we, we are overcome and um, we have an ignorance and a lack of cunning. And because of all that, we constantly fall. And God knows that. And God does not hold us to account. Uh, God's not angry with us because God knows that about us, that we, uh, we have frailty and ignorance and lack of cunning. Therefore, why would God assume that we would have this cunning and, and, and knowledge? Because God knows that's how we are. The cause, as she says here, is blindness, for we man sees not God, because if we saw God constantly, we would have no harmful experience, nor disturbance of any kind, nor the distress that is a servant to sin. So if we were in the full sight of God constantly, we wouldn't have um, this kind of um, turmoil and sorrow and woe that is the beginning of sin, um, as I'm going to read a little bit from Frederick Roden's uh, um commentary here. Uh, he says, God can look at the glass half full because he sees all of us in his sight, but we view the glass as half empty because that is the most we can see from our human perspective. We literally don't have the perspective to be able to see everything that's going on in the universe, whereas God constantly has all perspective. So it's that uh, she puts it as blindness, that we can't see those ends. So there is no way for there to be there, but God does not blame us for that. Then Julian turns somewhat inward. Um, she perceives five kinds of activities in herself. 
So th these are not things that everybody would be expected to have, but they're certain they're what she looks when she sees within herself. And one of the thing, gifts we get from Julian is a, a person who is very much willing to look inside their own soul and tell us what's going on there so we can relate to it. But rejoicing and mourning and desire, fear, and certain hope. Uh, rejoicing because it's God she sees. Mourning because she fails. Desire uh, because she wants to see God more and more. Fear. Um, God uh, doesn't get angry with us, but still we have fear, and her fear is that the vision would fail, and she'd be left to herself, and she would lose all of this knowledge. But certain hope is where almost all of us uh, live, or where we're allowed to live. We may not be able to live there. There may be all sorts of reasons, uh, stuff in our lives. Uh, there may be um, mental illness that makes it hard for us to do this. But certain hope is something that we are offered because it is God's mercy, and this is where mercy works, mercy and bliss and rejoicing is where we are all headed, where we are all brought, and where we can all rest. But, and this is another important point for those of us uh, here on earth, the understanding of God cannot be constant in this life, and that for his own honor and increase of our endless joy, and therefore, we're frequently without the sight of him, and at once we fall back into ourselves. So this, this is the part of being human that, that is difficult uh, for those of us who are people of faith, is that we can't always have a mountaintop experience. Even the disciples, you know, when they have the, the experience of the transfiguration, um, that number one, they don't understand it. Number two, they're awestruck by it. And number three, they have to come down off the mountain. You know, we are, we are never fully in the sight of God. Um, and so we're frequently, frequently without the sight of him. And remember that this is autobiographical for Julian, especially these couple of paragraphs. She's being very personal. This is a woman who has devoted herself to God, um, has um, become walled in as an anchorite, and has already had her funeral rites read for her, um, and spends her entire life working with God. But yet, God is not present to her at times, and there are dark times for her. And if there, that's true for her, that's probably true for us as well. Uh, so that's a good thing for us to always remember, is that those dark nights of the soul, as some writers talk about, are a common human condition. Uh, you actually find this talked about in every spiritual tradition that works with meditation and with contemplation of God, um, this idea of the dark night of the soul. And what we're told quite often is that those are actually the most fruitful times, that those times that are dark, where we can't find God's presence, are the times where our prayers are most effective and where they have the most effect on who we are and our relationship with God. Let's continue with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I ask your prayers for all those in Eastern Europe, particularly in Ukraine. I ask your prayers for all those who have been affected 
by rains and um, weather in the United States. I ask your prayers for those on our parish prayer list, and I bid your prayers and intercessions at this time. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. Um, we will see you the next time. Until then, take care and God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.